Hello and welcome to the Listics AFL podcast. I'm your host, John Van Norden, and we're here to pull apart another AFL playing list, analyse the key indicators and determine what the club is missing and what moves they should be making in the ever rapidly approaching off-season. We're here with my co-host, Sean Lewis. Sean, how are you doing this week, mate? Uh, doing very well, mate. Getting over the uh, the loss to Geelong on the weekend, and uh, I think Gus Brayshaw re-signing is kind of... Uh making me feel a little bit better today. Yeah, it was a heartbreaking loss, but I mean, it, you could see that he felt it. He was complaining about Dangerfield's free kick <laughs> still midweek, but uh, hopefully he sucks that up and obviously re-signs, so that's fantastic news for you guys. And um, it seems like we might be getting some new rules sooner than we might have thought. Yeah, what's happening there? I'm, uh, I'm a little bit annoyed, <laughs> to be honest, with all this. Yeah, well, that's... Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, if they do it, it'll be a complete farce because for anyone that plays any sort of fantasy football, you will be gutted that half of your team will be playing different rules to the other half of your team. But, but what about what about the Brownlow? You know, yep. um, if it results in higher scoring, it could potentially have an impact on the Coleman medal. I just read a, a tweet from Brad Green saying, you know, the AFL fined Melbourne $500,000 for supposedly not tanking but tanking ex- effectively experimenting is what they got done for and the AFL wants yeah. to do it in dead rubbers themselves like you know where's... yeah and that's that's the big contradiction is that they've come out and said that every game we must keep the integrity of every single game together and they're they're compromising the integrity of the game by trialing rules mid-season just before we nick into it i was going to say i did i did like a suggestion you had actually um on the on the twitter which was that maybe in the week in the pre-finals week off where all the everyone gets a buy as they come into finals you could grab some of the unsuccessful teams and um and get some trial matches going it would keep football in for another week and give them a chance to trial some some rule changes and yeah I actually really yeah. like that idea I think it's a really good one yeah I mean that makes a lot more sense than anything else and you could just I'm sure the players would be fine um, not finishing their week like they like it's like Mad Monday because they're gonna be playing in and playing alternate rules anyway but taking it at, like not full speed so they're not hammering tongs into each other because no one wants to be injured but they're just you know they're playing the game and testing all the rules out against opposition we'll have enough sample size from that um but we're here today to look at the West Coast Eagles, and the West Coast Eagles are overperforming, and I know that after, uh, what is it, 18 weeks now, it's hard to say that they're still overperforming, because they're still winning a lot of games and ending up on top of the ladder, or a second on the ladder at the moment. But when everyone was looking at their list at the start of this year, I think when um, when we were looking at Gold Coast trading ahead and getting their future first-round pick, we were all assuming that that was going to be somewhere inside the top 10. I, I didn't even imagine that they would be playing finals, let alone um, leading leading finals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think in, in a part of that's um, really to do with their age profile you know, on, on the game day weekends. I mean, just working, you know, before we really dig into it, uh, you know, I was working through their list before and, and they they really, even though their list is, I think it's it's like about seventh youngest in the AFL. That tells us that yeah, okay, they've got a, a young group of players there. But then when you actually dig into it and look at who they're playing um, in the team week to week, they're actually quite old. Um, having age and experience is a is a good indicator for for current success in a lot of teams. So you often find that the top eight is made up of the, the top ten um, age and experienced teams week to week. Um, not not so much overall list, but more week to week. So that said, look, I, I really think they are um, still overperforming. They've just got it together at the right time and, and they've had, you know, huge seasons from guys like Jack Darling, even though he's been injured for a little bit, and Andrew Gaff has found another level and... Um, yeah, I mean, they say for teams to play in the grand final, you end up having a lot of players on your list having career-best seasons, and that's definitely what they're, they're having at the moment. Jeremy McGovern's been an absolute wall back there, and I know that's probably his level at the moment, but he's he's playing exceptional football. Darling's found a new level. Lysette's found a new level. Uh, Gaff has found a new level, as you mentioned. Uh, even some of the older guys like Shepard um, and... 
uh, Schofield, a couple of those guys back there are all Crips in the forward line. They're all sort of finding their feet and having really career-best years uh, and mostly staying on the park. But you're right, they definitely have that uh, North Melbourne, Essendon, West Coast sort of feel about their list, which is that they have a lot of young players on there, but they're not playing a lot of games, those young players. Yeah, yeah, you're 100% right. And just to kind of give you an indication, we spoke a couple of weeks ago, or sorry, last week with Essendon about them having a, a split between their um, bottom 22 players and their top 23 players in terms of how many games and they were 93%, 7% and, and West Coast is the same but then when you kind of dig into it further in their under 21 age group of which they have 13 players so that makes up 30% of their list they've only played 29 games in that 13 players um, effectively from the last three drafts that would be or two drafts um, no three drafts um, and I was looking back at their last three drafts they haven't really had a hit in the last three um, a, a guy that's definitely come in and forced his way to clear best 22 yeah probably Jake Waterman might be the exception on that one yeah he's come he's come good um, he's had a career best year but I mean even he he looks like he's playing a role in a in a good side and, and that's not to say that there's not role players in everything but even looking at like they're, they're under 23s they're definitely lacking that elite player it's again they've got a lot of players in that next age bracket which is what you're talking about that 21 to 24 bracket you know they've got another 13 players 30% there um, they've only got about 13% of their games in there um, their 25 to 28 bracket, which is kind of that's your that's your real premiership bracket, that one, um, or your your challenging bracket. Um, that's the you know often those players have been in the system eight nine years, and they're the ones who are really kind of driving you um, towards success. And they've they've got 20 percent or 10 players roughly, 22 um, percent, and they've got you know 35 percent of their games in that. Um, which is really good. And then in their over 28 bracket, which they've got nine players over 28 um, at the moment, and they've got over 50% of their games in that bracket. And what's important about that is when you're looking to the future in three years' time, you're looking to balance up that over 28 bracket with that under 21 bracket. And their over 28 bracket in three years is all, you know, 31, 32, 33, 34, most likely at the end of their AFL career or off the list. Um, and they've got well over 50% of their games in that section. So it means within three years, they're going to lose 50% of their total games played. Yep. They just don't have that that elite sort of talent coming through. I mean, they made a really smart draft selection with Jared Brander last year uh, to start preparing for life after Kennedy or one of their key backs. He can go either way. But Oscar Allen, uh, he still fell into the second round uh, he was a Lark medal winner, but they've had a Lark medal winner um, in, in Sheed come into the side, and they don't always grow as much as some of the other players. They generally slide a little bit because they're already good. They don't have as much scope. Um, so it's going to be hard, especially without a first-round draft pick. I mean, they're lucky that they're overperforming this year because if they were sitting even just early in finals, sitting around 8th or uh, 8th or 7th, and they didn't have a draft pick this year, I'd be worried to see what they were going to be looking like going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, look, I guess working through their list, uh, as we've kind of just identified, they're very much built for now. Absolutely built for now. They've um, Last year was about, you know, they obviously had their targeted players, um, and, and they really went, went in for that, and they, they backed themselves in by trading away their first round pick. Um you know, it remains, they're probably, they're definitely going to make finals, and I guess it just remains to be seen where they finish up in the top eight, but, you know, that could potentially still not pay off for them. Um, At the moment, the fact that there's a group of, you know, three or four teams on four wins, um, and Gold Coast has the worst percentage, is paying off for them, that they've only slipped from pick 17 to pick 20, I think it is. But, you know, potentially... Um, you know, if if Gold Coast can notch up another win or improve that percentage, they could, you know, slide, you know, into 23-24. And, you know, if they finish fourth, you know, that's all of a sudden a pick 15. So you've slid 10 spots and you've gone from an undervalued pick into an overvalued pick quite quickly. Yep. 
And they're having a they're having a quite a strong season, but even when you look at the like obviously the bottom of the ladder is a bit of a log jam for the amount of teams on a low amount of wins. But you also have a fair log jam just below the West Coast and the ladder. Like West Coast have had a fantastic season, but they're gonna like it's not like a traditional season where one and two are clearly better than six, seven, and eight. I mean, realistically, the Giants could be the best team in this year. The Swans, I know they just had a big loss, but they could be the best team in this year. The Cats, who aren't even in the eight, could be the best team this year. The Ds have got a huge percentage better than West Coast. They could be the best team. It's going to be a really interesting final series. It wouldn't surprise me to see them um, having overperformed all year go out in straight sets. But that said, they're going to have a fortress to protect over in the West, so it'll be an interesting year. I guess now, like if we look at their depth, um, trying to start looking as to what they need to cover. Um, just working through the depth chart, they've got you know uh, four key forwards, five key defenders. They've got a really high amount of general forwards, like 14 um, I counted, um, uh, and they've got seven general defenders, uh, four rucks, and 11 midfielders in total. So. Um, apart from the general forwards, you know, maybe some of those general forwards kind of go to the back line as well. So they might, I guess, be midfielder forward, uh, sorry, forward defenders. But um, apart from that section, they actually look like a pretty balanced list. Yeah, balanced, obviously, with the exception of the fact that if Gaff leaves, they've just got a massive hole in the middle because guys like Redden are playing some really good football. Uh, and they're, but they're not the same level as some of the other mids in the competition. And there's definitely something that they're going to have to look at. And if they lose Gaff, they're going to have to look at fixing that up pretty quickly because it's a, it's a big hole. And I mean, we've seen from Yo last year, he's not the kind of person that goes into the midfield uh, for a long period of time in impacts. He's much better behind the ball. And uh, they do have a lot more play readers that sit behind the ball then they do ball winners that that go and get it themselves. So they've got a couple of big contracts to, to try to line up for the rest of the rest of this year. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a really good point. When you're looking at this list you, you see it's built for now and and a lot of their top players are in that over twenty eight bracket. Like they they've got a lot of old guys. Well not old, I guess they're in the prime at the moment, but they'll be old in three years and as we've said, there's not a lot coming through. So I guess we'll talk more about Gaff and, and Lysette, but you know, these these two guys are huge signings, not just for their ability to challenge now and next year, but also their ability to transition from uh, a team in the premiership window to uh, a team that, that's going to be sliding down the ladder. They're their next group of leaders to lead them um, as they move through that next stage of their list. The McGovern signing's huge. You know, they obviously have paid a lot for him, but that's a massive signing for them. He's only 26. He hasn't quite hit 100 games. You know, he's worth every cent, really, in my eyes for them. Yeah, he is. This is where the list management side of the game starts to get a bit more difficult. Uh, We say this most weeks, that we don't have all of the access to financial information, so we can't see their current cap position. But they've had the luxury of having guys like Lysette, and McGovern on their list who have come through as underdeveloped players. So McGovern's last contract wouldn't have been on a whole lot of money. He might have been on maybe $400,000, but nothing like what he's on right now. So really, you're in the exact same position, as in you've still got the exact same player, but now you're paying them twice as much. I can't see how they can keep Gaff and Lysette and McGovern, given the contract that McGovern will probably be going on to, without offloading some cash elsewhere. Yeah, look, I mean, Lysette's a really interesting one. Um, the the thing with Lysette is that probably before um, Nick Nat's terrible knee injury, he was looking like, you know, he'd probably go elsewhere um, because there'd be better money. Like, we're speaking speculatively here. Um, there would be better money available to him outside of the club, um, given that he is effectively playing Nick Nat's backup, even though he's um, established himself for quite a good role this year and really shown his value. Now Nick Nat is out for the next 12 months. This becomes a huge decision for West Coast. They they really can't afford to lose him. Um, 
if they do lose him, they're going to have to go get a ready-made ruck replacement ASAP, and they're probably going to have to pay him as much, if not more, than what they'd have to pay Lysette. Or if they're going to pay him less, they're not going to get a player of the same quality. So Lysette's really in a strong negotiating position now in the fact that the club does need him more than they did. He's probably added an extra 100k, 150k to his contract. It's a hard one because I think that they're sort of screwed either way. Either you sign him and you pay him what he could get in the free market, and especially now that he's got more value there, but you're going to have over $1.5 million tied up in one Ruckman because you're effectively saying that he's the only one with Nate Nui out for the year, which is a huge amount of money, or you don't sign him. And to get a player, even probably as much as what he costs right now, rather than what his next contract says, he's on maybe 300 right now, you're looking at the Dawson Simpson type of player that you might be able to prize out of a team that really doesn't have that much longer to go. Or you're going and getting um, Todd Goldstein for two years or something of that nature and, and letting him walk. But Goldstein would have to take a serious contract cut uh, to be able to even fit. Further to this, I saw an article with uh, Lysett the other day saying that he doesn't want to leave the club in a bad position, which means he obviously knows how valuable he'll be to the club, especially with Nat Nui, and leads to me thinking that he might re-sign and he won't look to push his value up. He might just take a, a little bit of a cut, maybe with a stronger back-ended deal, knowing that Nat Nui's contract after he comes back from his knee reconstruction won't be as high. Yeah, and look... You know, players, we talk about, you know, football's probably one of the few sports in the world that still has a a bit of loyalty left in it. I know it's still a business and, and, you know, guys can get traded and and all that, but him re-signing would be a huge uh, vote of loyalty to the club. I think he'd definitely be taking unders what he could get in the market. In my eyes, you know, he could probably look at going to a club that lacks a Ruckman, Essendon or even Carlton with their, their issues with Matty Cruiser only playing one in every two games kind of thing. The Bulldogs, while they've got developing Tim English behind. But really, he's it's his decision to make whether he, he goes for money or he stays loyal to the club. You know, I'm starting to agree with you. They can't, they can't really keep all three, or if they do, they're probably going to be delisting a lot of players this year or trading a lot of players to make cap room because, yeah, like pretty much between Nick Nat, um, McGovern and, and Gaff and Lysette re-signing, you, you know, you're probably looking at, you know, over 25% of your salary cap in four players. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're already into the off-contract players and we've been talking about Lysette for a while now. If you were West Coast, what would you do? Um... Well, given the Nick Nat injury, I'm I'm keeping him. I, I would be I'd be re-signing him, but I'd also be trying to keep Gaff. So and and it's kind of that's the way their list is built at the moment, and it kind of forces you to go. Yeah, I need to like now is my moment. I've got you know I've got all these good older players, and we're talking about you know Lacrosse maybe got one left in him. Hearn's playing career best footy. Josh Kennedy, you know, he, his injuries are starting to take their toll, and they've also still got Will Schofield, who I, I think is pretty underrated. I, I think he's a pretty good player. Um, on top of that, they've also got, you know, Gaff, Yo, um, McGovern and Shuey and Darling all playing career-best form, and Lysette showing some value as well. So, you know, they really are for now. So they, they have to kind of keep those guys, and it might be to sacrifice the future. I, I mean, I would, I would re-sign him. Um, and if it looks like you can keep him, from what I, as I said, from my reading into it, I think that he'll sign at a fair rate or maybe like just below what he probably is worth, um, even to West Coast. Uh, and hopefully with a back-ended kicker for him, which would make him a well-paid player in maybe three years' time. It's going to be really hard for them to manage it. I, I can't see them managing it properly and keeping their ladder position next year. That said, I couldn't see them keeping their ladder position this year, so let's mm. see how it all runs. Um, but you've mentioned Lacroix already. Does Lacroix stay for another year? Yeah, yeah. I've got him keep one year. He's, um, I know he's had a few injuries, but he's you know done well enough for me that he, he stays. Yep, same for me. Um, what do you think about Eric McKenzie? You know, I always liked Eric McKenzie, but Adam Simpson, by not selecting him and him playing the waffle, kind of says to me he's probably going to get delisted. Yeah, he's he's been in the club for... He's, he's over 30 now, so I'd say that there's 
could be one of his last opportunities. Um, I, I would delist him though. Yeah, look, he, he, to be honest, like a, a club looking for, you know, I know you and I were texting about this today, you know, clubs looking for kind of experience um, in the back line. Guys like Eric McKenzie and Heath Grundy, they're probably two players that you could get in. Def- they'd definitely lift the quality of their back line immediately and that also adds some leadership, strong leadership from good clubs if you could convince them to come across and maybe look at a coaching role or something down the track. Yeah, um, and just for everybody listening, um, Sean and I are that sad that all we talk about in our text messages is potential trades and drafting moves uh, this far <laughs> out from the draft. It's it's literally our obsession, so we've thought about all of these trades a lot of times over. But I, I'm, I'm going to say it's list him, and I'm not saying that he's a completely spent force. I just don't see him getting another gig. Um, gaff. Obviously, you want to keep him because the kid's yep. a gun, but you're going to have to pay. And given that they're going to have to pay for a couple of players this year, I feel like Gaff is the one that gets squeezed out. I feel given Nick Nat's injury, you're spot on. With Ruckman, sometimes it's the better the better the devil you know than the one you don't. Lysette's a known quantity, has a has a good body of work this year under uh, behind him. He's played quite well. But that said, Gaff's had a career year, and it just happens to be in a contract year. So you definitely want to keep him if you can, if you can, if you can fit it and make it work in the side your cap. Um, I don't know if they've got anything banked from last year or not. But otherwise, um, yeah, he's probably going to walk unless he feels like being loyal, um, and like he could potentially walk and he'd be walking for good money, which would mean you're probably getting back in the first round. Yeah, unfortunately, it'll be like a buddy-style first-round pick where you're getting one late. Uh, but uh, that said, it's it's still it's still reasonable compensation for Gaff. I mean, he's been a good servant, um, he's been a good player, and he's it's a perfect storm for somebody of his abilities to completely exploit um, the, his value in free agency, which is his right to do, and I think that he definitely should. But there's going to be clubs that overpay to attract his services this year. Um, there were players last year that were being banded round as the as a million dollar men and um, getting contract offers over a million dollars. But if if the contract offers are near one point two, which is what we're hearing for Gaff, uh, who has always just been a second best midfielder in a team and an outside midfielder, uh, then he's going to be very well paid, and I I would think that he'll take that. Um, but yeah. I, th- I think it's interesting. Everyone's talked about Gaff's improvement in contested work. Um, I'm not sure if you've actually looked at any of the stats with it, John. But um, yeah, he has improved in it. But he he's still only you know probably 35, 65 percentage contested possession, uncontested possession. So he's still very much an outside player. So he he's he's going. He, he's definitely improved his clearances. He's he's winning a lot more clearances, which is great. Um, and obviously with the gap that's been left with Prittis and, and Mitchell, someone had to fill there, and he, he's been part of that solution. But um, I think the team that gets him, hopefully, has a strong inside midfield game. So he'd be perfect for clubs like Melbourne and North Melbourne and, and these sorts of clubs that have a real um, ball-winning midfielders um, already. But, yeah, he's... You know, if a club that's more outside, like an Essendon or something, goes and gets him, uh, you know, you've probably got enough of that player. Even though he's definitely going to replace the best you've got, he's he's not really going to improve your ball-winning capabilities. Yeah, the the teams that are definitely in the most hunt are the ones with the biggest salaries, to, or biggest budgets, and that would be North and St Kilda this year. And they both have a need for outside speed and run and class, so... Um, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me to see him back in Victoria next year. Um, going down now, we're up to Fraser McInnes, who, for me, uh, I would try to trade him um, or I would delist him. I think he's going to get squeezed out by the fact that if you've still got Fardy on your list, you've got Lysette, even with Nick Natanui on your list. If you didn't have Nick Natanui and you just had Lysette and Vardy, I'd be looking to move on Fraser McInnes. It's been there long enough. Yeah, look, he has been there a long time, and I, if two weeks ago, no Nick Nat, I'm saying delisting, but 
I would almost have him as insurance because you never know. And he's probably going to be cheaper to sign up for a year than, uh, than potentially exposing yourself during the season and not having a Ruckman. And, and I make this point very, very passionately. I wish clubs would stop trying to play their best full forward or best full back in the ruck, Port Adelaide. I know. If you've got a, if you've got a structure, you you need to put in even if the ruckman is second rate, even if he's just going to be a body to compete with, you're better off keeping your best players in their best position and sacrificing even even a tall midfielder from the twos to come in and jump in the ruck. Yeah, I, because I agree, man. It, it just yeah. So and that and that's why I would, given what's happened with a lot of ruckmen this year. I would say just hold on to him as your insurance policy. Yeah, I see. For me, he's a he's a seven year into his career. I think he's still on the rookie list. I think he's gone back to the rookie list this year. Um, and I think that it's time to try a new rookie. And you can try a rookie ruck. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Going down to the second tier and trying to grab a mature age ruckman. Um, but for me, he's he's done. Um, yeah, and. and- Three weeks ago, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, 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 I hear that. Um, Mark Hutchings. Um, keep. He's been playing reasonably all right. Um, I've got him down, give him a two-year deal. He probably won't cost that much. And, yeah, look, he's been playing all right footy, so... Yeah, he's worth more to West Coast than he is to anybody else as well. And yeah. West, he's, the, he's the kind of player that you're not going to get back in the door the value that you're leaving go out because um, he's, a, he's a reasonable AFL player. Uh, yeah. Michael Michael Carpen, he's a D-list for me. He's he's got axed. Yep, sharpen that axe off he goes. Yeah, he's been on the like. There's just a couple of these guys here that have been around for a long time. Like I don't know if they thought that in Fraser McInnes's sixth year that he was going to turn around and make it then, or Michael Carpenter's fourth year, who was a player not in the best twenty-two and not dominating waffle, and was all of a sudden going to turn around and make it, but. Yeah, I you gotta gotta start axing these guys a bit sooner. Yep. Yeah, I'm agreed with that one. Yeah. Louis Jetta, Lewis Jetta. It was a big trade for Cal Sinclair, who I bet they hope they had right now, but they couldn't keep <laughs> all of they couldn't keep all of Lysette Sinclair and Nick Nat. Yeah, look I, I look yeah, absolutely they couldn't keep them all. One of them wanted their time, so I've got Lewis down for a um a keep one or two year deal. Um, he's he's been playing off the off the back line more recently, and he's been. Oh, I think he's done all right. So, yeah, yeah, I I, th- I think that he's good enough. Um, the only thing would be if if a team wanted to um, take him off your hands, and I wouldn't complain if they did. Um, but I, I'd offer him a deal for sure. Yeah, I don't think anyone's really gonna <laughs> offer you a deal, unfortunately. No, no, you're probably right. Um, Luke Partington. It was the first yes. draft, first draft pick, probably three years back. Yeah, so he's he's someone I've probably spoken a bit about in the last few podcasts, um, and, and we were speaking about this before this podcast. He, for me, I, I don't quite understand why he he can't get a game. Um, I guess I'm not inside the club. I don't know if he's doing something wrong on the training track or or if he's you know not quite performing his role exactly how they want, but. You know, looking at the video of him, I, I, like I watched a lot of him in his draft year, and I liked him, so I've probably got a little bit of a bias there. Um, and also watching um, some of the waffle form, he, he's still looks to have all the attributes he had when he was drafted. He, he's, um, you know, I think we were talking about it's about, you know, 14th or 15th highest disposals for the for the waffle at the moment. He's averaging. Oh, I don't know, I think it was about six tackles a game. He, he's doing all the things that, you know, AFL clubs look for in midfielders to tick boxes. Um, I just don't know what he's doing wrong. So I guess probably him not being selected um, at the at the selection table probably says he, he might be delisted. Um, if I was in their situation, I'd be keeping him. Or if you're not going to play him, trade him. He's still got value somewhere, even if it's uh, a fourth rounder, it's still value. So I'll take him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. We'll see. Um, yeah, for me, um, he's Luke Departington. For all of you <laughs> pun- lovers out there, fans. Um, 
yeah, I, I'd trade him or, or delist him. Um, yeah, has, hasn't come on, isn't playing AFL, is a midfielder and he's been there for three years. Typically, midfielders um, develop before then and he might be just getting a bit slow in the waffle. So he either needs some game time now or axe. He's, yep. he's gone. Um, Matthew Allen, he's a D-list for me. Yeah, D-list for me as well. Um, we, can, we can move through these last ones a bit quicker because we're getting down to the rookies now. Oh, in a second, Josh Rotham first. Yeah, so I've got him as a keep for one year, He at least, maybe two. Um, he's a young key defender. They take typically longer. Um, I guess probably the, the preface with this is a lot like North. Um a lot of these younger guys, so the less than three years on the list, so Partington, Allen, these guys, they, they we haven't seen a lot of them on exposed form because they've barely played any AFL. Yeah, and yeah, so the, like the assumption is from looking at their waffle numbers and uh, and everything we can see from the outside, they're, they're gone. Um, but I mean, given given how many guys they've got on their list that have been there for seven years and not playing AFL, he, he might get a three-year deal. Um <laughs> Looking down to Tarir Bayok, uh, I would re-rookie him for a year. Yeah, I'm the same. He, his numbers look pretty good in, in um, the waffle and what vision I could find of him doesn't look too bad. So, you know, maybe, you know, he's a real speculative one, but, you know, that's what the rookie list is for. Yeah, and it's the same with Alango, who I would re-rookie as well, developing Ruck. You can give him a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. List, though. Yeah, Alango was a Northern Territory guy, I think. He, yeah, he's he came on late, um, huge vertical leap. Yeah, he, he's you got to give him a bit of time, maybe three three years, but who knows? Um, Cal, Cal in England is a is a D list for me. Hasn't shown anything. Yeah, look, um, he's 180 centimeters, 73 kilos, so he's quite small. Um, and he really looks like he's struggling at the waffle le- level. I, I would say you, you, you've rolled the dice, but he's probably a D list. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's a he's a D he's a D list for me as well. Um, and there's nothing to say that these guys that are, are struggling and a bit young um, when they're playing in the in the second tier leagues aren't going to make it. But some of them just aren't ready at the time, and they need to go back down and prove themselves. Burrows is gone for me as well. Yeah, yeah, the same. Um, he he's the older one of the two. That's right. Um, so he's almost twenty, uh, hundred and eighty-eight centimeter forward, eighty kilos. He's not even playing waffle seniors. He's playing waffle reserves um, majority of the year. Um, it's a D list for me. Yeah, yeah. I'm just reading here that he was a E grade amateurs player. Um, before before he made his way into the Colts. So he's come from a long way back, um, but potentially he just needs some more time at that waffle level, um, but not at West Coast for me. Yeah, and that's fine. You know, he's got to the level, so he's got to the waffle level from, a, from an amateur um, grade. So, you know, maybe he keeps developing, he can come back onto a list, but, you know, for the moment, definitely a, a D list. Yeah, and, I mean, it's going to be a... It's going to be a tough year to know what they're going to do anyway, West Coast, because they've got so many players that they're trying to re-sign that could put them in a tight cap position. They already don't have a first-round draft pick, so they're going to have they're going to have a tough year trying to work out exactly what they're going to do. Are they playing for right now? Because for me, their older players are going to get older, and the young players aren't getting any games, so they're going to be around the same spot or lower. And uh, without Nick Nat. I would say definitely lower, and yeah, I'm just not really sure what they're going to be doing this year in the off season. Yeah, look, it's going to be a real challenge for them. Um, they haven't. Uh, we'll get on the, to the draft a bit later, but they haven't got a strong draft hand. They're, I guess, you know, the way their list is built is for the now, as we've spoken about. Um, the transition period's probably staring them in the face three years away from now. Um, they've got McGovern locked in. You know, they've, they've, as we've said, they've got to be, you know, aiming to keep Gaff and Lysette. I think if Lysette walks, that has a huge effect on on their planning unless they can get a ready-made ruck to come in, you know, uh, where they can poach a, 
uh, a Jones from Freo or a Darcy from Freo or, or come across to Melbourne and, and pinch a Pruce or something or as you said Goldie would be you know probably a lot of money but get him across if Lysette leaves they have to be looking at those sorts of options to stay in the conversation now if he stays and Gaff walks I think you know it's not ideal but I think they can stay current with with Gaff leaving um what they'll net in return and the player that can potentially pick up in the draft or use that to trade for someone else can potentially cover them. So I think Gaff is the best case. If if one of them has to leave, Gaff's the best case. If Lysette leaves, I think it completely changes the the conversation for them in what do they do. So Yeah. And it's it's all of it's not all of it's not good case because you you effectively had three players last year in Gaff, Lysette, and McGovern, uh, and their three what what is their three player salary will now only cover maybe one and a half of them, so they they're going to really be in a bit of a squeeze, and even bringing in mature age players is going to be hard, and this is one of the problems with overperforming, from a list management perspective, obviously from a club perspective, great, we love winning. Uh, fantastic <laughs> and uh, I would love to be a club that perennially overperformed that's fantastic from a list management perspective though it puts you in a bit of a bind because you end up overpaying to keep older players who you wouldn't typically have to pay as much for and you can't you're not getting your younger players that you've drafted developed by playing games so effectively what will happen is that they'll either lose a really good player or they'll completely tighten up all of their cap room and trade out good young players. Either way, I don't think they're going to be moving forward next year. They're going to have to do some creative trading. Um, I had some some people in mind. I mean, for me, they've obviously there's some players that we've already spoken about in the free agency period, but one of the names that's come up a bit during the week is Aaron Hall from the Gold Coast Suns. And I think if Gaff leaves, that Hall could be somebody in that um, at least the experience, uh, age, and style of play that that could get out there. Yeah, yeah. Look, Aaron Hall's a, a not a bad one for me. I'd, I think if if they lose Gaff, I'd be looking. If you're looking for one that's not going to cost you draft picks, it's it's Luke Dalhouse for me. Yeah, he's going to cost you a bit, but at the same time, I think it he's not a like for like, but he keeps you. He keeps an out a high level of output and probably brings a bit more of an aggressive inside game to him to it as well. Um, if they're willing to trade for picks uh, for for a younger player and and help you know kind of try and you know solve two problems with with one kind of trade, uh, the player I really liked was um, Jacob Hopper from from uh, GWS. I think he'd probably cost you. A, a bit, and you'd probably have to pay him good coin, but you've you've probably got more money set aside for what you were going to pay Gaff, uh, and that's the thing with 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 Gaff leaving, it opens up um, a big salary cap space. They've probably got you know seven or eight hundred set aside for him, and they can potentially bring in a guy like Hopper at five fifty six hundred. I don't know what you'd have to pay him to get him out, but you know it's more can you pay the the um, the trade cost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, it would have to be if you're going to be trading for me. It would have to be trading with players, and preferably players that are out of contract. I mean, to move for a player like a Hall, you could potentially move um, Hutchings and Partington, and maybe like a late pick or something like that. Um, and you might and you might be able to get him because Gold Coast aren't playing Hall. I know Hall still has some more value, but. Um, Jew might just be looking for some more honest midfielders to, to be able to have in as depth. Um, another one which will cost you less than um, the other clubs, but still seems like it's going to cost you a lot this year, is Polek, who, again, is that sort of outside running player. They're both not as good as Gaff, but they're both that sort of same mould of type of player. Yeah, I guess that's, that's just the thing. The more and more we look at it, and it's kind of, you know, you can feel the whole podcast probably so far. We're both very torn in do they, how do they get the future and, you know, stop this dread that's coming in a few years' time and but still stay current and, and without slipping. And that that's the real balancing act for, for these guys. And I think thinking about it myself, I would probably be looking for... 
you know, trading for a player who's, you know, under 24, paying a little bit higher price, paying a little bit more money, but that he then helps set me up for three years' time, but he's also going to try and fill that gap that we've lost with a 27-year-old gaff, if that makes sense. That's kind of why I was leaning towards a Jacob Hopper or something like that. Yeah, I mean Hopper's probably on a, still on a bit of money. See, so you could go Miles if you're just looking for that more inside output, which um, we've spoken about Miles a couple of times. Um, but I mean, looking at it, you were right, we are struggling with it. Looking at it on the balance, knowing that Nick Nat's gone down next year, and feeling that they'd overperformed this year. I would allow Gaff to leave, take the pick, and go to the draft. And I would start thinking about what the future is going to look like because as much like they might win the flag this year, not not ruling that out. <laughs> They're still a very good team. Yep. I would just I think that the best thing that you can do when you're performing well is to start thinking about the future because it means that even if things start going south, you're you're one step ahead. And if things continue to go north, then you've just backed up all of these new exciting players that are going to be ready to come into your side. Yeah, yeah. I think they kind of did that last year in in um, Jared Brander and Oscar Allen. Um, they they definitely um, they obviously Gold Coast had a had a bunch of second round picks last year and in what was considered a weaker draft than this year, and they were able to bundle those up and, and do a bit of creative trading. So, the I mean, last year that trade, which was effectively this year's first round of that pick 17, they traded for pick 21, which was Oscar Allen, pick 26, Liam Ryan, excellent draft selections, and pick 38, Jack Petricelli, who's, you know, he could make it, might not. Very, very fast, very um, uh, attacking forward. Um, foot skills sometimes let him down, but... You know that's not a, a bad. So that's that's probably one of those high potential, uh, high risk, high reward selections that you talk about a bit, John, with him. Um, and they also managed to net back Gold Coast's second round pick this year, um, and that was for pick 50 last year, which was used on Crosley, and this year's first round pick, which is currently pick 17. So, effectively, at the moment, what was pick 50 in a and a three pick slide. <laughs> Um, has netted them Oscar Allen, Liam Ryan, and Jack Petrocelli um, for three picks, which isn't which isn't it's not a bad trade on the balance at the moment. But like we said, by the end of the year, that could look very different. It could be a 10, 15, um, or maybe not 15. It could be 10 position slide, which makes that a little bit more back towards Gold Coast favour. Yeah, especially in this year's drafts as well. Uh, you just hate, like, for West Coast sake, you'd hate for West Coast, uh, Gold Coast to start moving up the ladder because the further that they get away from the first round, the shallower it gets and quickly. Uh, there's, like, there's still a lot of good players around, and I think um, just looking at their current draft picks, obviously they traded out that first round uh, pick in this year's draft. They got in 20 and they have 34, which is their own pick. They traded out their third round pick for Brandon Archie, uh, which doesn't look to be working out just yet, but we'll see how that plays out in time. And in the fourth round, they hold 65 and 71. Um, and just looking at that, as we said, it's not that strong, but at around the 20 mark, you could potentially see some of the West Australian boys in in Hill, uh, Stack and English probably... Um, probably more Hill and Stack. Um, they, they might be looking at those guys. Otherwise, if you if you had someone sneak through in like a Coldwell type, um, I think that he would be really good as a long-term Shuya replacement. Yeah, yeah. All, all good good choices for me as well. I, I also had down here um, probably my new my new Smokey favourite who's probably not as much as a Smokey anymore in O'Halloran. Um not really sure where he kind of fits on the board at the moment. Um, possibly a, a Bytel or a Dersma, I'm not really sure. Um, but again, like like we kind of said, at pick 20, we're, we're really being quite speculative with these these picks because, you know, I think we've just thrown up, what, the better part of eight names. Yeah, and um, they could hate all of them. And, <laughs> you know, like, and, and these eight names could all be gone as well. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the the, the, the quality is there at, at pick 20, 
Um, if that becomes pick 25, then you're probably only looking at potentially maybe two of these names slipping through to that pick. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And that that's where you're starting to get into dangerous territory, but um, if you get a compensation pick for Gaff, it potentially offsets that. Um, and then hopefully with one of the, the later picks, they'll be able to match um, a bid for Jared Cameron, who's the brother of Charlie, um, kicked, kicked a lot of goals in the last game of the, the championships and it looks to have a lot of uh, a lot of Charlie's qualities so uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't be a, a, a probably a first two rounds kind of player anyway but he definitely has a good ceiling on him yeah yeah and that's you know for for West Coast they've got a plethora of general forwards at the moment and knowing you, you've got an academy kid coming through who's also in that mould, it also means that a lot of these um, kind of general forward types that they've got now become a bit more tradable as well. So, you know, I'm not sure, without without digging into it too deep, I'm sure some of them have a bit of currency for them now, and that's maybe how they can, you know, maybe get a third-round pick here, and then they bundle it up with a second and get a higher second, and you know what I mean? Like, they can get really creative um, around that, if they're willing to to trade, I guess, um, knowing that you've got some good stuff coming back in, so it's a they're a really difficult case West Coast in in that Nick Nick Nat's injury has really complicated things in a list management strategy and onto his third knee reconstruction now I think um, even though it's I think it's two in one knee one in the other you know at 108 kegs and 201 centimeters and could he transition to a more body-on-body Ruckman or is he going to keep, you know, that explosive jump and, and that that he's always had? Um, it's really kind of difficult. What what player does Nick Natanui come back like? And, and, you know, as we've seen with, you know, there's been some incredible stories of guys coming back from three, four knee reconstructions. But, uh, you know, as I think Clay Smith kind of said when he retired, you know, the, the mental demons really build up on you each time it gets worse and worse and you, you're just not sure what you're going to get back. Yeah, I I hope for them that everything goes well and that they can re-sign all of these guys and that they can have another crack next year and this year as well. It wouldn't surprise me if both Gaff and Lysette went and um, I wouldn't say that's the worst thing in the world. It might be uh, not as great for the supporters and the coaching staff, but from a list management perspective, it's about time to start that kind of rebuild uh, Vardy could step up into that number two ruck spot and you could cover that third spot with a mature rager, um, just a depth ruckman, even if you wanted to bring in Lewenberger for a year, um, someone like that just to fill a hole. Uh, but it allows you to start planning for what the future is actually going to look like without these guys. Yeah, yeah. And like you've, you've just said, though, if the two of them walk, it's not the end of the world, I guess, for them. Yeah. They, they'll probably get back for, for Gaff. They'll get... The selection after their first round selection, which let's say for argument's sake, the latter stays the same. That'll mean even though they've traded away pick 17, it means they'll get a pick at pick 18, and Lysette would likely be walking on good money. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them get either um, a like a second round. Is there? Do they do the mid? They don't do the mid picks anymore, do they? It's just either no. after your pick or the end, isn't it? Yep. So, so I would so the I would compensation form. Sorry, I'd say a second round pick for Lysette. Yeah, well, I, the for, the way the formula works that no one understands um, would mean I would think they'd probably either get an, uh, an end of first round selection, which would be that pick nineteen twenty kind of area, or they'd end up with one after their second round, which would be thirty thirty four ish. So, you know, but still players and still improves their draft hand and makes them, you know, able to see that future and build solely around guys like Darling and McGovern who they've kept and you know, they've got Dom Sheed, they've got uh, Tom Barras has come along well, um, they've obviously got Oscar Allen and, and um, Jared Brander there so, you know, the future is there um, they just don't have enough blocks around it at the moment and this might present them with that opportunity. Yep. Um, it was was that your final words, or is um, have you got some final words for us before we go? Um, yeah, look, um, probably the the biggest thing for me is looking at their profile. 
um, if they keep not putting games into their younger their younger guys, they're going to walk. Tom Mitchell's walked, uh, JPK's walked. What what happens to the younger guys? You know, if they don't put game time into Jared Brander, and you know he's a Victorian boy, um, probably more than happy to come back home uh, if he's not getting a game. So I, I think. You know, whatever their strategy is going forward, they need to start making room in their side um, for the younger guys to get a bit of game time, so you can know if they're good enough or not. But you know, overall, depend their whole draft and trade period all depends on Lysette and Gaff and what they do. They stay. They have to have a really clear strategy about what that means. One of them goes. What does that mean? Both of them go. What does that mean? They need to have the three clear strategy or four depending on which one leaves. Um, set up and ready to go, they need to stick to it and follow it. They haven't got room to sit on the fence, not with the age profile they've got and the age of their list in general. So, um, yeah, just my final words is be clear on where you're heading um, based on the decisions that are made. Yeah, and and for me, this is probably one of the finer arts of, of list management, but they've ended up with three players all best 10 in their side all 26 years of age at the exact same time out of contract which is a bad spot for them to have ended up in Um, and they're only in this bind with McGovern, Gaff and Lysette because either Gaff wants to go home and we're always going to be in this position but probably more likely because they've already got some large contracts on their books and they haven't been able to front-end any money, like bringing in guys like Mitchell last year, who would have been on at least a bit more money than a rookie, um, has meant that they've delayed falling down the ladder, uh, but they have also potentially put themselves in a slightly dangerous position. They've been able to retain McGovern, uh, but with another, like as I said, three 26-year-olds all at the prime of their game, um, you're ripe for the picking. And I, th- I think that you've just got to accept the position you're in and, and try to structure the contracts a bit better next time so it doesn't end up all finishing at this time. And uh, and that's it for another week. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. We did top over 500 listens uh, for the month. I think we've passed 600 now, which is awesome. Um, we never imagined we would have such a fantastic first month. And I just want to say thanks to all of you for everyone that's connecting with us on Twitter. Uh, keep up with the chat that we're having every single day. You can catch us at ListicsAFL. And uh, we're on we're on every sort of form of media and always happy to chat. So reach out to us and we look forward to talking to you soon and talking more footy. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Sean. Thanks, John. Thanks, mate. See ya.